Bismillah, walhamdulillah, wassalatu wassalamu ala habibillah, seyyidina wa maulana Muhammad ibn Abdillah, wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala, amma ba'd. Fakad qala Allahu jalla wa ala fil Qur'anil majid, ba'da a'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rajim, bismillahirrahmanirrahim. من كان يريد الحياة الدنيا وزينتها نوفي إليهم أعمالهم فيها وهم فيها لا يبخسون صدق الله العظيم The ayat of the Quran can be divided into five different categories This is according to Shah Waliullah rahimahullah and he mentions this in his primer to Usulu Tafsir, to the principles of Tafsir. He says that all the ayat of the Quran can be divided into one of five categories. Whatever ayah you can take will fall under one of these five either ahkam, aqaid, tazkir bi ala'illah, tazkir bi ayyamillah, or tazkir bil mawti wa ma ba'dah. Okay, so the first category is Ahkam Those ayat pertaining to The law and jurisprudence of Islam Which some scholars have mentioned are More or less about 500 Then you have Those ayat which pertain specifically to Aqaid And when we say Aqaid we mean Also those ayat which are A refutation, a rad against the different uh, 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 sects that are against Tawheed. He says these two types, these two categories, each one has a specific uh, uh, level of knowledge that you have to have in order to deal with them, to go in depth. For example, when it comes to ahkam, you have to be a faqih. cannot just be me and you who can just look at the ayah and try to extract and derive the, the law. From them. When it comes to those ayat which pertain to aqaid, you need the mutakallimun, the Islamic philosophers, so to say, who are masters in what they do. But the other three categories, those are some, those are those categories which not only cover most of the Quran, but are such that any individual can look at them, they can understand them, and they can take ibra, they can draw a lesson from them. What are those three? Those ayat which talk about the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The favors of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He has granted each and every human being. Ala illah. As it comes in the Quran also. فَبِأَيِّ آلَاءِ رَبِّكُمَا تُكَذِّبَانِ Ayyamullah refers to those ayat which pertain to we can say historical ayat, so to say. Those ayat which talk about the past nations. The anbiya alayhimu salatu wassalam. The aqwam, the different nations which came. The different nations which were sent. What happened to them? How was their response? What, how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala treated them? So on. And the last category is At-Tadkir bil maut. Those ayat which talk about death, وَمَا يَتَعَلَّقُ بِهِ And which relate to death. <clears throat> the ayah which I recited, 
This is in the 12th juz in Surah Hud. Surah Hud is considered to be one of the, it's closer to the final uh, uh, period of the Makkin. It's one of those surahs that is revealed towards the last stages of the Makkin period. It's kind of like a last way of telling the mushrikun, wake up. About this surah, it's mentioned in the books of hadith that once Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu saw the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and he said, قَدْ شَيَّبْتَ قَدْ شِبْتَ O كَمَا قَالْ قَدْ شِبْتَ We see there's signs of old age on you, O Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So Nabi in response said, شَيَّبَتْنِي هُودٌ وَأَخَوَاتُهَا O كَمَا قَالَ عَلَيْهِ الصَّلَاةُ وَالسَّلَامُ The su- surah to Hud and similar surahs like it have caused me to grow old. Have caused these white hairs to spring about. Why? Because there's a couple main things that are discussed in this surah. Initially, the surah starts off, and it talks also about the the uh, uh, various responsibilities that the Prophet ﷺ had. For example, he's Bashir and Nadir. He gives glad tidings and he warns those who don't believe. Likewise. Those who object to the Qur'an, it brings some ayat in regards to that. Well, if you object to the Qur'an, well then try bringing something like it. Right? If you object to the Qur'an. So one of the ayahs which come in this surah, said if they object, then tell them to bring ten surahs like this, like this Qur'an. But they can't. If they cannot respond to your challenge, they cannot respond to the demand that you put in, fo- in front of them, then recognize it is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and from no one else. Then it gives examples of the different nations which came. The different nations which came and the different prophets that came to these nations. We sent Nuh to his people. He invited them. What happened to them? We sent Ad. We sent Hud to Qawm Ad. How did they respond? What happened? To Thamud we sent Salih. He invited them. What was their response? What happened? To Lut, to to Qawm Lut, we sent their brother Lut. What did he say to them? What was their response? What happened to them? Wa ila Madian akhahum Shuaiba. To Madian we sent Shuaib. What did he say to them? What was their response? How did Allah treat them? Then Musa and Harun and Fir'aun, and finally Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says that look. أَمَّا الَّذِينَ سُعِدُوا فَفِي الْجَنَّةِ وَأَمَّا الَّذِينَ شَقُوا فَفِي النَّارِ Those who believe will attain bliss. And those who disbelieve will have nothing but wretchedness. Their end abode is the hellfire. And he says to the Prophet ﷺ, The only reason why we narrated these stories to you is so that your heart is firm. It's to consolidate you. It's to console you. We cannot imagine the kind of difficulty that the Prophet ﷺ went through. The kind of pain. I often, when you look at the ayat, you find very often, Nabi, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the, the Prophet, وَمَا أَنْتَ 
عليهم بوكيل وما أنت عليهم بحفيظ يا أيها الرسول لا يحزنك الذين يسارعون always consoling the prophet oh, oh prophet don't be grieved by them you are not a wakil over them you are not a hafiz you are not responsible your job is to do tabliq your job is to tell them that's it if they believe it's, on, it's for them if they don't believe then it's upon them فعليهم you're, that's it but what's ajeeb, what's strange, this type of ayat come very often in the Qur'an. And it led me to believe, Wallahu alam, you can possibly find it in the books of tafsir, that it goes to show the kind of spirit that the Prophet ﷺ had. The kind of spirit that he was worried, he was truly worried. And it's a manifestation of his, him being rahmatul lil'alameen. Him being rahmatul lil'alameen. And to console him to let him know that your responsibility is just this nothing beyond Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala constantly then mentions these ayat anyways it was because of these ayat and the severe warning that comes in these ayat that caused the Prophet to have white hair appear on the beard of the Prophet and it also goes to show again the kind of concern the Prophet had for the sake of his ummah. It goes to believe, now, the, the uh, uh, purpose of mentioning all this, I wanted to highlight was, and to talk about specifically, was yawmul qiyamah, akhirah, death. When it comes to death though, uh, there's no individual, regardless of who he is, or who she is. It doesn't matter which Ideology, which background, which country, which culture they come from, every individual understands and recognizes the reality of death. That's something inevitable. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew, it doesn't matter if you're a Christian, it doesn't matter if you're a Buddhist, it doesn't matter if you're a Hindu, it doesn't matter if you're a Muslim. Every individual sees death and recognizes that one day it will also come to me. Yes, the only thing that a person doesn't know is when it's going to come. It may come today, it may come tomorrow, it may come anywhere, sometime in the future. That's all that's known. But that much is inevitable. That much is for sure. It's going to come. What's going to happen after though is very important. There are those, and this is one of the beliefs of the mushrikun, was that after we die, we will not be resurrected. How can we be resurrected? How can a person, this was their ideology, this was their concept and belief. How can a person who dies and whose body and bones become dust, how can this person come back? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on many occasions in the Quran then mentions that do you not think that the one who created you in the first instance, do you think he's not able to bring you back a second time? In fact, it's easier for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala So to speak This is again to allow insan to understand Otherwise Bringing insan Bringing creation from the first moment Or the second moment or the last moment Is always easy on Allah There's nothing that is difficult Even some mufassirun mention You know this, uh, in the Quran Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says Kun fayakun That be and it is Allah doesn't even have to say kun it already becomes. It's just to show insan 
allow insan to, you know, تَقْرِيبُ إِلَى الذِّهْنِ To make insan somewhat understand the power of Allah, the qudra of Allah. Otherwise Allah doesn't, do you think Allah needs to say kun in order for something to happen? No. His qudra is complete, kamil. So, <clears throat> some then, this is what the belief of the mushrikun was. That, how is it possible that a person who dies, who becomes dust, how can, how can he be revived? And so this is one thing that the Prophet ﷺ then through the Qur'an uh, advocated many occasions. That no, once you do die, you will be resurrected. This belief is absolutely important. Of Yom Al-Qiyamah. What does, what does the, the belief in Yom Al-Qiyamah entail? We hear, right? We hear, okay, Yom Al-Qiyamah and, and the terrors of Yom Al-Qiyamah. What will happen on Yom Al-Qiyamah? This will happen and this will happen. People will be raised. People will be brought. In one place in the Quran, Allah says, people of furad, furada, you will be brought individually. In another place, for judgment. Right? In other place, Allah says, after the judgment, Then together, the people of Jahannam will be put together and shoved into Jahannam as mentioned in another place. About the mu'minun, right? Those who believe, they will be gathered together and, and put into Jannah. They will be taken into Jannah. But what does the, the belief, the idea, of Yom Al-Qiyamah entail? Why is it so necessary? Two things. Number one, it sets focus for the individual. What does it entail? Whatever action that you do, good or bad, the result of it you will see on Yom Al-Qiyamah. The result of it you will see on Yom Al-Qiyamah. That is why it is so important. Imam Ghazali rahmatullahi alayhi in his magnum opus, Ihal Ulum al-Deen, right? It's a book that, uh, he, he was a teacher. Okay, he was a teacher and he was a very, very great theologian. Master in Islamic theology and philosophy. At one point in time, he said, I, I sat and I thought, I said to myself, whatever I'm doing, why am I doing it? Am I doing it with sincerity for the sake of Allah? Or am I doing it for other reasons? He said, when I sat and I actually thought about it, I realized I, I was doing it for the, name, for, the, for the sake of fame and name. So he said, I left it all. And so for 11 years, he, he spent in seclusion. 11 years, mind you, 11 years in seclusion. In doing the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and pondering over these realities. And finally, after that 11 year period when he came back, he wrote this magnum opus, Ihya'ul Ulum al-Din. So in it, one of the things he says, he says, you know, oftentimes you find the people, everybody knows. You know what's good, you know what's bad. Tell me, is there anybody here that does it? Every individual has a moral compass that guides him generally. The more knowledge you have, yes, the more uh, you are able to protect yourself. But generally, every individual has some sort of moral compass that tells him what is right and what is wrong. So what is it that stops a person from doing right? And what is it that allows a person to do bad? He said there's two things. Number one is taqwa. A person lacks taqwa, that's why he does it. Number two is because he, his belief in Yawm Al-Qiyamah is not firm. Why these two things? He said, why are the root, why, it's the, why is the root for this problem this? 
He says, because when a person has taqwa, what is the concept of taqwa? Taqwa means that a person is conscious of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at every given moment. Wherever he may be, if he's with his family, if, it's, if he's in the masjid, if he's somewhere else, if he's at work, if he's alone, he at every single moment knows and recognizes that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is watching him. Do you think a person will ever do anything when he knows Allah is watching him? Khaliqu kulli shay. Do you think he's going to, every step he takes, he's going to make sure, okay, am I taking the right step or not? But, he says, you know, sometimes some people, they have, they're a bit, they have a little bit of audacity, jur'ah. So they still do something. Right? For example, kids, if they truly have fear of their parents, they're never going to do anything wrong. Right? If as long as their parent is in front of them. But those kids who lost the respect of their parents or who know their parents are there but they still don't care. They don't care. They're, their father and mother do this, do that. Say, I don't care. Why? Because the, the, the feeling of authority is no longer there. Then yomul, the idea, the concept of yomul qiyamah becomes necessary. Why? Because that means that every action that you do, you will see the result of it. If you do good, you will see the result of it. Fine, Allah is watching. Somebody can have this, you know, this mentality. Fine, Allah is watching. But this person, when he knows, okay, if I do good, khayran yara, I will see the result of it. If I do evil, sharran yara, I will see the result. When these two ideologies are within, these two, the belief in these two concepts are are uh, 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 put inside the heart of an individual and he has conviction in it every step that he takes every step that he takes he will be sure what he does you know allah is watching me and if i do it i'll i'll be i'll be uh, uh, punished i will be taken into account mashaykh mentioned this is in fact what separates a believer from a non-believer because a non-believer a non-muslim i should say he may believe in Akhirah. For example, Jews and Christians, they believe in Akhirah. Issue is, for example, they, ha- they, they lack something in Tawheed. Their Tawheed is not correct. Or if it's anyone else who doesn't believe in Akhirah. So this is the differentiating factor between them and the Muslim. When a Muslim does something good, he does it with the intention that he will be rewarded in the Akhirah. That's a true Muslim. A non-Muslim may be doing good, but he doesn't do it. His his action is limited to the dunya. That's why this Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned in the ayah which I recite, مَنْ كَانَ يُرِيدُ الْحَيَاةَ الدُّنْيَا وَزِينَتَهَا نُوَفِّ إِلَيْهِمْ أَعْمَالَهُمْ فِيهَا Those who do, do whatever they do for the sake of the dunya and its, 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 its decor, well then we will give the reward for them right here. No need to save the reward for the hereafter, they're doing it for the dunya. That's why some mashaykh also mentioned that if your intention in a good, in a amal salih, is not for the sake of Allah, don't expect a reward for it. Right? For example, you're praying salah. Right? In your salah, you're saying, he's watching me. That's why, let me put more khushu in my salah. Well, you're not doing it for the sake of Allah anymore, you're doing it for somebody else. Expect a reward from him, not from Allah. You're giving sadaqah. But, uh, I'm giving $10,000. Why? Because people will say, Oh, mashallah, he donated to the masjid. You're doing it, why? For the sake of the dunya. Then expect the reward in the dunya. Don't expect it in the hereafter. The mu'min, khalis, whose iman is true, he never does anything for the sake of the dunya because he knows that the life of the dunya is fani. 
What's with you is going to perish. But what's with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will always remain. But you have given preference to the life of this world. Whereas whatever is with Allah is what's going to remain. Whatever is in the akhirah will remain. And for sure, whatever you do, you will see in the akhirah. وَإِبْرَاهِيمَ الَّذِي وَفَّى أَلَّا تَزِرُ وَازِرَةٌ وِزْرَ أُخْرَى وَأَنْ لَيْسَ لِلْإِنسَانِ إِلَّا مَا سَعَى وَأَنَّ سَعْيَهُ سَوْفَ يَغْرَى Whatever you do, whatever you strive for, this is also a principle in the dunya. You will see this principle in life. Whatever you strive for, you will see the result. A person, he works for years and years, he studies for medicine. Does he not become a doctor? If he works really hard, he passes his exams, he sees the results of it. He sees the fruits of it in this life. Whatever you work towards, that principle, just like it is true for this world, likewise it is true for the hereafter. If you change your perspective for the akhirah, and you are working for the akhirah, you will see its result. And let me tell you, my dear respected brothers, and if they're sisters, just like you see this wall, these walls around you, just like you see the individuals around you, you see how real they are. Let me tell you, everything that the Prophet ﷺ and the Qur'an have mentioned about the Akhirah are just like that, true and real. That's why in Yawm Al-Qiyamah, these kuffar will be astonished. They will be so shocked. They will see the... The very thing that we denied in this life, it is now in front of our eyes. What do, you, what do we say? And at that point, Allah will say, those shufa'a, those idols, or whoever you used to worship, see if they can help you now. They can't. See, if, is there anyone that can help you on Yawm Al-Qiyamah? But you have nothing. You have nothing on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. Right? As mentioned in one hadith, that the people will be raised, uratan, hufatan, ghurlan. They'll be raised naked, barefoot, uncircumcised. They have nothing. And that is real. We have to believe in it. We know it. That is the difference. So now when we work towards it, recognize it. Well, whenever we do any action, do it for that sake. Don't do it for any other reason. And I'll finish with this. Oftentimes we are told, people who sit here, why are you always, you, always we talk about the same topics. We talk about something social, political, something that has mirchi masala in it, you know. The thing is, those are fine. I do agree that sometimes you have to bring some social topics, sometimes you have to bring political topics. Those things that we Muslims have to deal with on a regular basis have to be that have to be discussed. There are specific forums, there are specific platforms for them. But for the general Muslims, for us, all of us, in fact, every Muslim, he has to keep this in mind. If you can keep this in the back of your mind that tomorrow, Kalkidin, tomorrow I will be standing in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and I will have to present whatever I have. Can you imagine the kind of life that every individual will be living, no matter where he is, whether he's in America or India or Pakistan or Bangladesh, it doesn't matter. When he has this in the back of his mind, that tomorrow I will stand in front of Allah, he will change himself. It will motivate him to find out, okay, what does Allah want from me? How do I have to pray salah? How do I do this? How do I do that? Let me attach myself to the masjid. It, this is not contrary to having a living. Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, Umar radiallahu anhu, they also had businesses, they had whatever. But what was, what was the difference between them and us? They always, always kept the akhirah in the back of their mind. If they had to judge, something presented itself, they would judge. 
Okay, in terms of the akhirah, is this good? Is this profitable for me or not? If it's not, I'm going to leave it. If it is, Bismillah. That's why it's so important. That's why it's so important. And as Imam Ghazali mentioned, if the people, they may know, they may have the knowledge of good and bad. And as I mentioned, you have every individual has some sort of moral compass. But what will motivate you is when you actually have firm conviction on your muqiyamah. With that, I end. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the tawfiq to bring in the reality of your muqiyamah into our hearts. Allah knows that day is very frightening. That day is very... Uh, 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 a person should truly be afraid of what will happen on that day. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us a reality of that. Wa da'wana alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.